This is a podcast of First Presbyterian Church of Trenton, Michigan, a gospel-centered community seeking to glorify God by making, maturing, and multiplying disciples. For more information, check out fpchurch.tv. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, our scripture is Luke chapter 10. We'll be in verses 25 through 42. Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan... As he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Would you please pray with me? Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the revelation of yourself that you've given us. Uh, It's such a privilege to be able to gather underneath your word to learn from it and know that you are faithful to speak through the reading of your word. You are faithful to speak through the preaching of your word. Uh, You have promised that your word will not return void, but it will accomplish the purpose that you have set for it. God, we thank you for that. We pray that this morning as we are here to sing and to pray and to, to learn and to grow, that you would shape us, that you would Uh, plant that word deep in our hearts in a way that shapes us and molds us and changes us into the people that you have called us to be. Lord, we are such a needy people. Sometimes we don't see that because we have physical comforts and we have uh, things that are the envy of other parts of the world and they see us as, as rich and having all that we could want. But Lord, if we look to all of those things, the things that we have, the things that we, that we own, and we find our worth and our hope in those things, then, Lord, we are so, so lost and so confused. God, we're a needy people because we desperately need you, every single one of us. Lord, help us not to forget that. Help us to remember our, our utter and total dependence on you. Lord, we're dependent for every breath that we take. We're dependent for uh, every, 
every bit of food that we get, our shelter, all of those things we should not take for granted, but we should be grateful to you. So help us to remember how much you have cared for us, the good care that you've shown to us day by day. Most importantly, the fact that you sent Jesus to die for our sins so that we could be redeemed, so that we could be saved, so that we could be rescued from the punishment that we justly deserved. And God, that's the reason that we are so grateful this morning. Help us to be more grateful. Help us to be filled with joy at the thought that we've been saved and that we are loved by a good Father. Lord, don't let us take that good news for granted. Lord, I pray for those who are struggling in this congregation, whether they're in this room this morning or uh, at home. Lord, I pray that you would provide for every need. We know that there are so many who are struggling because of um, mental and emotional and uh, spiritual ailments, feeling far from you, feeling far from other people. Lord, I pray that you would provide comfort through your Holy Spirit. I pray that you would provide comfort through your church. Lord, help us to love one another well. Help us to show mercy and grace and kindness to each other and help us to be active in doing that. Lord, let us look for opportunities to bless one another, to serve one another, and to glorify you in so doing. Lord, I pray for those who are struggling uh, in, in their health. We pray for, for healing. We pray for comfort in the midst of pain. But God, knowing that you are uh, the God who, who has created us, you know our bodies, you knit us together in our mother's womb, so we know that you are able to heal and to restore, and we pray that you would do just that in those people who are uh, dealing with physical difficulties right now. Again, God, we are here this morning to glorify you, to learn from you, so we pray that uh, as we hear the word preached this morning, that you would apply it to our hearts I pray that you'd be with Pastor Leslie as he preaches the word. I pray that he would preach it clearly and boldly, but we know that it is ultimately you who does the work. So we thank you for your servant and pray that you would bless him and speak through him this morning. And God, would you be glorified in all that is said and done in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, David. Well, if you were to ask 10 people at random, what does it take to get to heaven? I think it would shock you how many of them would say something like how you should act, what you should do, about being good, about acting good, about not being too bad. I have been intrigued by a recent set of articles and interviews given by a famous American actor who, in fact, has written a book recently about uh, his memoirs, even though his life is not over yet. And he talks about his own life and some of his regrets. His goal is to make a better version of himself and hopefully to make up for some of the past mistakes that he's made. When he's asked point blank, and I've heard this interview, do you think you're going to get to heaven? And his answer is, well, I hope so. I hope I haven't been too bad. 
And we shouldn't be surprised that most religions in the world are about finding the right path, about acting with kindness and compassion, of accumulating enough good deeds that somehow your good deeds will outweigh the bad ones in God's eternal scales. In fact, there is one famous well-known religion that has that metaphor itself embedded in its holy scriptures. So no wonder a Jewish leader, a teacher of the law, would stand up one day and ask Jesus, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He wasn't the only one to ask Jesus that question. That, in fact, happens at least a half a dozen other times in the New Testament. But the way our Lord answered that teacher has challenged and puzzled and intrigued Luke's readers ever since. And the whole history of interpretation and understanding of that response that he gave and the parable that he told could keep us here all day and all night. But I'm going to try not to do that. When Jesus answers this man, he tailors his answer to the person that he's talking with. This, after all, is a teacher and an interpreter of the Old Testament Jewish law. He's called in the ESV a lawyer, not in a lawyer that you and I use that term, but a one who knows the Old Testament scriptures and what God's law says. And interestingly, Jesus just turns the question around and puts it right back in his lap. Well, you know the law, you know the scripture. What does it say? How do you read it? And the lawyer gives a wonderful, beautiful summary of the law. He hits the nail right on the head. Most of us know that the Ten Commandments can be summarized with two cardinal commands. Number one, love God, love him with all of your heart and your soul and your strength. And the second one, love your neighbor as yourself. And it was the man himself in this story as he answered Jesus who came up with that summary. And Jesus says, you answered correctly. You know the law. By the way, Jesus himself gave the same answer when he was asked a similar question in Mark chapter 12, when he was asked about the greatest commandment. And he said, I'll give you the greatest commandment and I'll give you the next one, which is just as good. And what did he give? The very same answer. Love God and love your neighbor. And in that passage, the scribes specifically said to Jesus, that's the right answer. Isn't it interesting? The scribes knew the answer. Jesus knew the answer. You and I know the answer. We even talked about it taught it in the Westminster Confession of Faith, which takes the Ten Commandments and divides it into those two categories, loving God 
and loving our neighbor. And when Jesus was talking to those scribes back in Mark chapter 12, he said to them, interestingly, you are not far from the kingdom of God. All, of, all this is simply the summary of the passage in Deuteronomy 6 and Leviticus 19, which famously encapsulate the whole law and then Jesus can say in another place, the whole law can be summarized and hang on those two principles. Have a relationship with God and love him completely. And then love one another. Love your neighbor as yourself. But our lawyer friend just wasn't content. He couldn't let it go at that. If he had just said, wonderful. That's the right answer. I've given the right answer. And Jesus said, just go and do this and you'll live. There's your answer. If he had just walked away, this whole rest of this passage would not be here. And by the way, we would never have heard about the parable of the Good Samaritan, which is only recorded in Luke's gospel. He wasn't content. He had to press Jesus. And so he, he said, well, love my neighbor. So who is my neighbor? And in so doing, he opened up a can of worms. And what follows is the most famous and familiar parable in all of Scripture. And even though, even people who have not a clue about the Bible and about the God that we worship and hardly know anything about Jesus, know the story of the Good Samaritan. I heard it used on the news just yesterday about someone who is being helped and being a, quote, Good Samaritan. Well, you know the familiar story. A traveler is going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, a journey of about 17 miles downhill all the way a very dangerous place to be. And he's accosted by thieves and robbers who rob him and beat him up and leave him half dead. And there are three people who are available to help him. The three people that are mentioned in the parable. Other people couldn't help this man. The people who were on the path and on the road the day before obviously couldn't help him. They showed up too early. The people who are going to be there the next day can't help him. People in another town can't do anything about him. But three people were eligible and available to give this man the help that he needed. The first one's a priest. Someone who knows the law. And I'm sure that lawyer said to himself, well, I'm not a priest, but I know the law. And the story says that he intentionally saw the man in trouble, did nothing about it, and in fact intentionally walked on the other side to avoid any contact with him. And the second man was a Levite. The lawyer hearing this story could have said, well, that's, uh, that's more like what I might be 
he could very well have been a Levite. Many scholars believe that's the case. The Levite devoted himself to the service of God. But the Levite did exactly the same thing that the priest did. Walked on the other side and ignored their responsibility. Well, so much for putting head knowledge into practice. But then there was a Samaritan, of all people. As you know, the Samaritans and the Jews don't have any contact with one another. They hate each other. This man would have no reason to help the man on the road who was beaten and robbed and helpless were it not for his love and his compassion. And this man acts. He rolls up his sleeve. He binds up the man's wounds. He anoints him with oil and puts wine as an antiseptic. He put the man on his own animal and took him to a place of, of comfort and safety. And he told the innkeeper, here's some money to tide him over and to pay the bill in advance. Before I leave tomorrow, you let me know if there's anything more that this man owes. I'll pay for it myself. And some scholars believe that there was a relationship between the Samaritan and the innkeeper, and he knew he could be trusted to follow through. So Jesus asks the lawyer, so who proved to be the neighbor? Which one of these three was a neighbor to the man who was helpless? I want you to notice he took the lawyer's question and turned it around. The lawyer said, who is my neighbor? Jesus asked the question, who is the one who was on the receiving end of neighborly compassion and love? And of course, the lawyer came up with the right answer. He always comes up with the right answer. Well, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus says, well, go and do likewise. Twice in this passage, Jesus has said, this is what to do. Do this and you will live. Go and do likewise. I can almost imagine the disciples talking among themselves Maybe one of them whispered to another, but wait a minute. The man asked Jesus, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus gave him a moral lesson about good behavior. The man is going to walk away thinking that he can earn his way to heaven. And twice Jesus told the man, go, do this and you'll live. Go and do likewise. I can almost imagine one of those disciples whispering to the other saying, but he didn't give him the good news. 
he didn't tell him how to inherit eternal life. And that issue and that question has befuddled and confused and caused great deep thinking among the theologians ever since. Some people believe, well, he didn't answer the question at all. Other people said he absolutely answered the question. And some people believe, well, he sort of gave a half answer. You need to remember, and I need to remember, the kind of man that this was who asked the question in the first place. Remember what the text tells us. The opening line says, he stood up to put him to the test. This man didn't have an honest, inquiring heart. He was trying to find fault with what Jesus taught. He was trying to accuse him. Some people believe that he was just trying to make sure that Jesus was on the right track. But he wasn't asking the question with sincerity. And later on in verse 29, we're told that he did this and he said these things to justify himself. He thinks it's all about his doing. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus skillfully calls his bluff. And the man, the lawyer, takes comfort in his own Bible knowledge. But his seeking is not really genuine at all. He may have the right answers, but he doesn't have the right actions. If only he had come with a sincere heart. If only he was genuine about his original question, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? If only he had really studied himself and examined himself, he would realize that all of his doing was not enough. He wanted to put Jesus to the test. When all the while, it's about Jesus putting us to the test and checking out our motives and our actions. The man wanted to justify himself when the real question should be, how can I find justification from God? The man wanted to do his way into heaven. Instead, he should have been seeking someone to do for him what he could not do for himself. In short, he should have examined that parable and asked himself the question, who in that parable is most like me? Now here's where we have to be very careful because the theologians for many, many centuries, beginning with St. Augustine, he's the first one to do this, all the way up to a famous well-known Bible teacher of our own generation who I just listened to last night, 
and an awful lot of people in between will take this parable and over-allegorize it and turn it into something that Jesus never intended, or at least we don't, real, we don't think that he intended it. Because the parable, obviously, about what does it mean to obey the commandment, love your neighbor, and the answer is it is turned into action. It is compassion and care. And the good Samaritan exhibited those qualities in the parable. But you cannot look at this parable without at least saying it is an illustration of the gospel itself. And if this lawyer would simply go out and try to obey what Jesus just told him to do, he would soon discover, I don't really do the things I'm supposed to do. I know what to do, but I don't do it. If he were to put himself into this parable, he would say, well, I'm not like the thief and the thieves and the robbers who beat the man up. I think I can check that box. But unfortunately, I'm an awful lot like the priest and like the Levite who knew the right thing to do but didn't do it, who had all of the knowledge and the information, and I knew what God expected me to do. We just read a passage of Scripture in, our, in, our, uh, uh, in the introduction to our prayer of confession. What does God expect you to do? And the list is right there. Do the right thing. Show compassion. Show mercy. And walk humbly with your God. And if the lawyer puts himself in this parable, he realizes, but I don't do that. I know what I should do, but I don't do it. And he would be embarrassed by the fact as he listened to this parable. I'm, I'm just like those two guys that walked on the other side. He would know I'm supposed to be like the good Samaritan. He's the good guy. But I don't measure up. I fall short. I'm embarrassed. I have the right answer, but I don't have the right action. And it's interesting that in this whole story, he never has a follow-up conversation with Jesus, and Jesus never has a follow-up conversation with him. He just says, you go and do it. Go and do likewise. Do this, and you'll live. And we don't know whether the man ever connected the dots and realized, hey, I can't do it. I don't measure up. I don't deserve eternal life. I'm disqualified. I'm helpless. I've been beat up. I've been left for dead. I don't even have the strength and the information and the knowledge to reach out for help. If he thought about it long enough, he might draw the conclusion you know, I'm just like that guy on the side of the road 
who was helpless and needed someone to take care of him. He might come to the conclusion, I need someone to come along and pick me up and bind my wounds and anoint me with oil and bring me to safety. I need someone to pay all of my expenses, past, present, and future. I need someone to show me mercy. Here I am asking the question, what can I do to inherit eternal life? The real question I should be asking is, what can someone else do for me so that I will have eternal life? Because I can't do it myself. And he would accept the mercy with humility. Well, that's what that lawyer needed to do. We have no idea whether he did it or not. We're not told in the scripture whatever happened to him. I would like to think he, he thought long and hard about what Jesus told him. I'd like to think that as time went by, the more he tried, the more he tried to do, the more he would be frustrated with his own ability to perform perfectly. And I'd like to think that eventually it dawned on him, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Well, I ought to do the right things. I ought to be obedient to the law. I ought to be an example of someone who is actually putting the law into practice. But I can do all of those things as much as I want, and they will never bring me to a place where I'm qualified for heaven. All I can do is fall and receive the mercy of God with humility. And for you and me, and you can take this passage, you can take the parable, you can take the sermon and apply it a couple of different ways. Obviously, the parable itself is about doing the right thing. I mean, if you're a believer in Christ and you're trying to do what God has called you to do by the enablement of the Holy Spirit, you can say, well, am I like this good Samaritan? Do I show compassion? Do I show love? Do I show concern? Is there tangible evidence of that in my life or am I living selfishly and with my eyes closed to the needs around me? Am I walking on the other side of the road? But even beyond that, if you don't know the Savior in the first place, then you need to revert to the initial question that was talked about in this passage. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? The answer to that is you can't do enough. You'll never score enough points. As well-intentioned and as wonderful as your good deeds are, they will never measure up to the expectation that God has for your life. Only one person could ever do that. The Son of God who gave his life to pay the penalty for our sin 
and now showers his mercy upon us on that basis. And so what can we do this morning? Well, go and do likewise. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace and love. Thank you that we have been reminded today that it is not about our performance, what we do, what we accomplish. We should never take credit for how wonderful example of a Christian man or woman we, we are. Because we are who we are because of your mercy and your grace. You, you had concern for our helpless estate, as the hymn writer says, and you picked us up and you bound up our wounds. And you, Lord, you made it possible for us to have a relationship with you. Thank you, Lord, that every day there are opportunities in response to your mercy and your grace and your kindness to love the people around us, those that are in our circle of influence with whom we agree, those that are marginal people, those that we frankly don't like at all, all of those people who walk in front of us and who whom we see in need are is an opportunity for us to be a good Samaritan and one who serves God on the basis and in response to the grace that we have received father help us to do likewise in Jesus name amen This has been a podcast of First Presbyterian Church in Trenton, Michigan. For more information, please visit us online at fpchurch.tv.